Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. everyone and welcome back to another edition of the Pensburg podcast. I am your host Garrett Bahanna and uh, typically this would be the part where I introduce my co-host whether it be Jim or Frank Miola but uh, unfortunately Frank is on short-term IR this week dealing with an illness so uh, this week's episode of the podcast will be a, a bit of a one-man show if you will with with just me just Garrett giving you my thoughts on the Penguins over the last couple of weeks. Uh, before we go any further in to this episode of the podcast, I would just like to send an apology to all of our listeners who were expecting an episode last Friday and uh, didn't get that episode due to some unforeseen scheduling conflicts. And uh, with Frank being out due to an illness, I didn't want to push back another episode of the podcast. So this may be a shorter episode in length with me just giving my thoughts to you, the listeners, but uh, I I felt like I wanted to get another episode out for anyone who is interested in listening to the Pensburg podcast. We have quite a bit of news to go over as it pertains to the Penguins over the last couple of weeks. It has certainly been an interesting span of time while the Penguins look for a new general manager, also dealing with game postponements, and we'll get to that as well. Uh, but let's kick off this episode of the Pensburg podcast in style with a recap of the Penguins' most recent game against the New York Islanders, a game in which the Penguins would win in a shootout. But uh, in all honesty, looking at the the sum of this game. Uh, I, In my opinion, I thought this was quite a bit of a slog of a game to get through. Not uh, a ton of action. Uh, Casey Sezikis opens the scoring for the Flyers in the first period. Uh, the Penguins end up finding their first equalizer after a nice display of passing where the puck eventually finds the stick of Brian Rust to tie the game at one. Jean-Gabriel Pajot would get a power play goal at the end of the first period to uh, take a 2-1 lead into the first intermission for the Islanders. Heading into the second period, the Penguins and their bottom six kept battling away. Uh, this time, Zach Aston Reese making his season debut wearing a new sweater, the number 12 sweater for the Penguins. Zach Aston Reese gets his first goal of the season to equalize once again for the Penguins, making it a 2-2 hockey game. And... Uh, 
really uh, a lot of the action, rest, the rest of the action came in the third period where uh, Islander star Matthew Barzell with 6.23 left in the game uh, kind of did away with rookie defenseman P.O. Joseph in a moment that uh, is um, kind of a, a welcome to the NHL moment for P.O. Joseph. And uh, Barzell's speed got past Joseph. Barzell shoots top corner to make it a 3-2 hockey game for the Islanders. Eventually, the Penguins would pull Casey DeSmith for the extra attacker. There would be a, a break in the action with 35 seconds left. Mike Sullivan calls a timeout for an offensive zone faceoff. Chris Letang would eventually find Evgeny Malkin, and Evgeny Malkin would rip a one-timer, a patented Evgeny Malkin goal with the extra attacker for the Penguins to tie the game 3-3 with just 18 seconds left. Uh, the Penguins would go into a three-on-three overtime session with the Isles. Uh, nothing really settled in the overtime session. It would take the shootout for the Pittsburgh Penguins to settle everything away. And uh, Sidney Crosby would be the lone goal scorer for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the entirety of the shootout. Sidney Crosby's goal is all the Penguins needed to take the extra point. The Penguins win. Like I said, uh, overall, I, I, I didn't think there was a ton uh, of action in this game. I thought it was pretty dull at times. Uh, a couple of notes taken from the Pennsburg recap, thanks to Hook Sorpik. That's three straight games now with a, a, a puck over the glass penalty for the Penguins. Definitely not something you want to continuously see from anybody in that lineup. Uh, it seems to be happening more with your your bottom your lower your bottom six lower end type players. This time it was Cody Cece who was guilty of uh, guilty of the crime here, sending him to the sin bin. Hopefully this is something that eventually gets ironed out. Uh, P.O. Joseph didn't have didn't have the greatest game as a defenseman, getting uh, turned inside out basically for the goal that Matthew Barzell scored in the third period. But having the rocket strapped P.O. Joseph basically since making his NHL debut i think it was only a matter of time before joseph came back down to earth a little bit and having a little bit uh, a couple of mistakes thrown in there uh, we now know that joseph is not immortal uh, no matter how greatly he has played in his limited sample size in his nhl career uh, you know you're going to have games like this as a rookie and uh, for po joseph i'm sure he will learn from his mistakes uh, looking at evgeny malkin this is uh, the i believe this is the Fourth straight game with a point for Evgeny Malkin and that one-timer goal. If you haven't seen the the one-timer goal that uh, tied the game, I suggest you go and uh, go on YouTube, find a recap, a video recap of the game to uh, to see how Latang finds Evgeny Malkin to rip that one-timer past Semyon Varlamov to tie the game. Really beautiful stuff from Gino. Hopefully, you know, this, like I said, I think this is four straight games with a point for Evgeny Malkin. Hopefully, this is the beginning of what's to come for Malkin, who has had a notoriously slow start to the regular season. I think if you're the Penguins, uh, you take Take the, you take the two points, obviously, uh, when points matter so much in uh, this season compared to years past, but uh, I think I really I really need to see the Penguins. First off, I need to see them play with more leads and preferably multi-goal leads throughout regulation for me to get more comfortable watching this team on a nightly basis, and uh, I need to see them start winning in regulation uh, more frequently rather than relying on the shootout and uh, overtime to get your extra points. 
Um, you know, I, I think it's easier said than done, in my opinion, given the current construction of the roster. You know, I know they're, they're still missing a lot of players. Uh, I'm not convinced that this bottom sixth is, is, is anything special. And uh, we'll get to, I, I'm alluding to more stuff that we'll touch on momentarily as it relates to the new general manager and uh, president of hockey operations hires that I'll get to momentarily. But uh, I think this bottom six is going to need some sort of facelift to have prolonged success throughout the season. We'll see where uh, other player personnel moves are made throughout the season, if any. But uh, those are a few of my concerns as the Penguins take a much-needed two points away from the New York Islanders. We will wait and see what the Penguins do and what they look like for their next game, which will be Sunday, February 14th, in a matinee game against the Washington Capitals. And they'll play two games against the Capitals on February 14th and February 16th. So we'll see uh, how they fare coming out against Alexander Ovechkin and his capital squad heading into the future. Uh, But switching gears now, looking at uh, uh, taking your eyes away from the on-ice product, there are uh, obviously there have been moving parts behind the scenes as it relates to the front office of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, since our last podcast, it has now been confirmed. The Penguins do have a new general manager and a brand new president of hockey operations. The new general manager is former Philadelphia Flyers goaltender and Philadelphia Flyers general manager Ron Hextall, while longtime hockey executive Brian Burke comes on board as the president of hockey operations. Right off the bat, when looking at the hiring of Ron Hextall as general manager, I think uh, the the best thing about Hextall's time in the general manager chair with the Philadelphia Flyers was his drafting ability, and I think that will do the Penguins wonders over the next couple of years. Uh, Let's see how Ron Hextall can restock the, the very bare prospect cupboards of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I'm going to read off a list of uh, some of the names that Hextall has drafted over the last over his uh, tenure in Philadelphia, uh, thanks to uh, thanks to an article from again from Hook Sorpeck over at Pensburg.com, you can go see what Hextall has done during his tenure uh, with the Flyers. But he has drafted players such as Travis Sanheim, Nicholas Obey Kubel, Oscar Lindblom, uh, Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny, Carter Hart, Nolan Patrick, Joel Farabee. These are all players that are contributing to the Philadelphia Flyers right now in in, in present time. If the Penguins can retool their roster and rethink their draft strategy over the next couple of seasons as Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang reach the end of their careers, if if the Penguins can have that kind of draft success over a span of three to five seasons, like with uh, what Hextall did in Philadelphia, I think the Penguins post Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin whenever that era comes around I think the Penguins are going to be in very good hands in the future uh, when it comes to finding some star power to replace the likes of Crosby and Malkin. In Hextall I don't think you're going to get a general manager uh, that had such a such an itchy trade finger like a Jim Rutherford did. I don't think you're going to see 50 plus trades made by uh, Hextall as you saw with uh, Jim Rutherford over the course of his tenure here. And uh, I, I don't know if you're going to see too many splashy July 1st free agent signings uh, when it comes time to hand out those contracts as well. But uh, looking at uh, the the overall sum of Ron Hextall's work as general manager, I. 
I keep going back to his draft results and even the from from the star players to the diamonds in the rough that he found. Uh, I w- I walked away very impressed by looking at his overall tenure in Philadelphia, and I'm very excited to see what Hextall can do. You know, it's been a couple of years uh, since he was the general manager of the Flyers. I'm interested to see how, if at all, he's changed his strategy up a bit. But uh, having Ron Hextall on board as the 11th general manager in Pittsburgh Penguins history leaves me uh, feeling very positive about the future in the short term and the long term, like I said, in a post-Sydney Crosby era, if Hextall is here when Crosby and Malkin are either retired or at the very, very end of their careers, and uh, it's going to come time for a little bit of a transition. Flipping the coin now and and looking at Brian Burke's resume, and uh, Brian Burke is certainly no stranger to the NHL, having been active really probably since the late 80s, early 90s, and most recently acting as the president of hockey operations for the Calgary Flames from September 2013 through April of 2018. Uh, Brian Burke has been with, uh, with Rogers Media and Sportsnet uh, uh, since leaving the Calgary Flames, now heading back into an NHL front office. Uh, Brian Burke won the Stanley Cup with the uh, Anaheim Ducks in 2007, and if I recall correctly, I think that roster was largely built on grit and toughness, but uh, it, it might be a little bit of a, a meshing of styles. I think when you look at Ron Hextall and compare him to Brian Burke, you have Burke, who is this more uh, old school grit and grind and, and mucking kind of has that mucking kind of mentality. Whereas you have Hextall, who looks to have uh, kind of a blend of modern day a modern day usage of analytics and uh, more of a focus on speed and skill. So it'll be interesting to see uh, the dynamic between. Uh, Burke and Hextall, if there is any. Uh, for all I know, and for all we know, Ron Hextall could be left to do the work by himself, and uh, he might have complete control over the draft and all of the decisions that come that way. And uh, one thing that has been speculated since that these hires have been announced is that Brian Burke will act as a bit of a buffer between David Morehouse and the higher-up executives and Ron Hextall, so there isn't that so there isn't that much of uh, uh, personalities colliding when it comes to on ice decisions or player personnel decisions or anything of the sort. So if Brian Burke acts as that buffer uh, between Hextall and Morehouse and Burkle and Lemieux and whoever else is uh, in that hierarchy of Penguins executives, this could be a, a very um, a very good relationship for for both Hextall and Burke. You know, I think a lot of people uh, in social media have a, a somewhat negative look to Brian Burke these days uh, when a lot of people want to adopt the speed and skill and advanced metric approach to constructing an NHL roster. If Again, if his hands are not on the personnel decision-making on uh, those kinds of decisions for the Penguins, I think this could be a mutually beneficial decision for Hextall, leave Hextall uh, able to, leave Hextall and leave him to figuring out the free agent signings, the trades, and the draft and and uh, delegate any of those other uh, executive responsibilities to Burke and Burke will likely report to David Morehouse and uh, those other uh, high-level executives within the organization. So overall, when looking 
looking at the grand scheme of the Penguins front office now having Hextall as the general manager and Burke as the president of hockey operations. Uh, overall, I, I'm I'm left with a very positive impression moving forward. Again, like I said, if if Hextall is left to his own devices and and left to uh, create uh, the, the future of the Penguins on ice product, be it in the draft or free agency or trades or whatever, I think the Penguins are going to be in a, a very solid place moving forward. Like I said earlier, it might not be the, the crazy gunslinging mentality you saw Jim Rutherford have in the past, but I think uh, having a, a switch of tone and switching the mentality around, having a fresh voice and a fresh direction could do the Penguins some good moving forward. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what the initial... Uh, fingerprints uh, in terms of roster construction are that Hextall has moving forward as we inch closer and closer to the trade deadline. But switching gears now, there's a story that I thought would be interesting to those listening to the podcast would want to hear about, and it involves fan favorite goaltender, current Vegas Golden Knights goaltender, Mark andre Fleury. In a tweet that was sent out on February 10th by Vegas radio personality Brian Blessing, uh, he reported, he tweeted that Bob McKenzie reported that the Penguins have previously contacted the Golden Knights on several occasions regarding Marc-Andre Fleury's availability, and Vegas reportedly told the Penguins that he is not up for discussion when it comes to a trade. And uh, I think th- it has since been reported that uh, these di- these negotiations or discussions regarding Marc-Andre Fleury and a potential reunion were held uh, as recently as a couple of weeks ago with Patrick Alvine uh, in the general manager's chair. I don't know as I currently sit here talking to you if uh, if the Penguins are still on the Marc-Andre Fleury uh, bandwagon and trying to bring him back to Pittsburgh, but uh, I wanted to put this on the podcast and, and bring this to uh, your attention to anyone who is interested in listening about this uh, this potential scenario, trade scenario that could maybe maybe probably won't work out for the Penguins. If you want my uh, if you want my personal opinion, I don't think Mark Andre Fleury is coming back to Pittsburgh anytime soon. At least not with his current contract and cap hit of seven million dollars. Uh, the Penguins, as they currently stand, have uh, projected cap space of just one hundred and fifty two thousand dollars. And they'd have to move quite a few bodies around. They'd probably have to send Casey DeSmith back the other way, but uh, he doesn't make a, a ton of money on his contract. I, I think he only makes $1.25 million in terms of his cap hit. So while I, I don't think there uh, there are any immediate plans to bring Marc-Andre Fleury back home into the black and gold, uh, I thought it was an interesting nugget to point out that it was interesting that maybe this was during the Rutherford regime, right at the very end before he resigned, or maybe this was a little bit of Patrick Alvin's doing, trying to bring back Marc-Andre Fleury and, and try to give a little bit of a boost to the Penguins' goaltenders. Obviously, goaltending has not been very hot for the Penguins to start the season, but, I mean, given Marc-Andre Fleury's current cap situation, given the fact that the Golden Knights have apparently already said no, he's not up to be traded, uh, I don't think he will be traded to Pittsburgh unless some crazy cap shenanigans are had and the cap is somehow circumvented trading away Casey DeSmith and I don't know Mike Matheson or whoever to get under the cap and and bring uh, Fleury's cap hit of seven million dollars to Pittsburgh I don't think it's going to happen Uh, I think this was just one of those 
little trade nuggets that was pushed out through Bob McKenzie, who I believe has reliable sources, and I believe Bob McKenzie when he reports this, but I don't see any logical way that Fleury reunites with his old Pittsburgh teammates, at least not in the immediate future. If he doesn't re-sign with the Vegas Golden Knights in the offseason, he becomes an unrestricted free agent. There is a possibility that maybe he finishes out his career where it all began in Pittsburgh. I think that is a possibility sometime down the line, depending depending on what the current goaltending situation is for the Penguins uh, when free agency begins. But as things stand right now, I don't think Marc-Andre Fleury is coming back to the Penguins, at least not in the immediate future. But uh, for those that keep clinging on to hope that Marc-Andre Fleury will make his illustrious return to Pittsburgh, I don't think the door is completely shut, but uh, I don't think that door is going to be reopened anytime soon, unfortunately, for those Marc-Andre Fleury fans. But switching gears now, we're going to move into our mailbag segment, and for those who have stuck it out with me to this point. I appreciate you for listening. And uh, if you're interested in contributing to our mailbag segment, you can do so by uh, sending a tweet to our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account, at Pensburg Pod. Every week we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment, asking whatever question, whatever kind of crazy or hockey-related question you have. No question is off limits. We have a couple of great questions here that we're going to get into into and uh, we're going to start off the mailbag here with a tweet from pens hen the pens hen wants to know how will john marino's covid restrictions affect the rest of the team moving forward into next week seems to me our division has been hit pretty good with this covid 19 it's very concerning and i worry about our players overall health along with their families now, uh, Penn's Hen's tweet came uh, during the the first mailbag tweet that uh, we sent out last week before the schedule conflicts kept us from recording last week's episode. But I wanted to include this question because uh, the NHL has had to postpone a ton of games, including games from the Pittsburgh Penguins that will uh, now see the Penguins, according to Josh Yoey, starting on February 14th, the Penguins will play 44 games in an 84-day stretch to finish the season, including eight back-to-back sets, four stretches of two consecutive days off, eight games apiece against the New Jersey Devils and the Buffalo Sabres, six games apiece against the Washington Capitals, Boston Bruins, Philadelphia Flyers, and New York Islanders, and four games against the Rangers. So these COVID postponements, uh, even though uh, in the original question Penn's hen had related to John Marino, and John Marino has since been taken off of the COVID list, these COVID postponements, uh, because of the, the recent surge in cases, have left the Penguins having to play in this truncated schedule with 44 games in a little under three months to finish the season. It's going to be a breakneck pace to get to the finish line for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I fear that the team may run out of gas by the time the regular season comes to an end. We're going to have to see, you know, uh, we could be talking next week and there could be even more COVID game postponements uh, because of more surges throughout the rest of the NHL, but uh, it has 
has certainly been a very, very rocky road for the NHL to get to this point. And just looking as looking at the Penguins for one team as an example of what the NHL is going to have to do, how they're going to have to maneuver their schedule around to finish this regular season. And in the Penguins' case, again, having to play 44 games in an 84-day stretch is certainly going to be a grind to get to the finish line. So I'm going to be interested in seeing how the Penguins and the rest of the NHL manage these recent surges in COVID cases, how they plan to mitigate the spread of the virus throughout the rest of the league, as uh, they certainly have intentions of finishing this season and crowning a Stanley Cup champion. But boy, the Penguins... The Penguins did not get the the uh, the good end of the stick there, having to play all of these games in such a short amount of time. It's going to be very taxing, I can assure you, on the players' part, but it's something that I'm sure the players and the rest of the league is just going to have to adjust with as they continue to play NHL games uh, while we continue to battle the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's certainly going to be something to watch as the rest of the regular season moves forward and uh, watch watch the the Penguins players and their conditioning and to see how tired they get, if at all, towards the end of the regular season. All right, uh, Cole Del Vecchio is back with a question and he wants to know, well, will the Penguins make Brian Burke wear a tie? Uh, Cole, if you're listening, I want you to know that this question made me audibly chuckle uh, when we received it uh, uh, for the mailbag segment. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, all you have to do for this question and Cole, this will be your answer. I think you already know the answer to this question. If you're not familiar with uh, Brian Burke and uh, his his tie-wearing situations, uh, just go to Google Images and just Google search some images of Brian Burke and, and, and watch how the man wears his tie. Basically just wears the tie around the neck. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen Brian Burke have his tie actually tied to his shirt uh, I don't know if I've ever seen it, you know, in its normal fashion when looking at Brian Burke in interviews or or whatever the case may be. So, so Cole, I think to briefly answer your question, I don't think the Penguins will make Burkey wear a tie, but uh, it's part of Burke's charm and part of Burke's image, no less. All right, Stephen Whitehouse and Commander Kern are back here with uh, relatively similar questions. They want to know, should Evgeny Malkin get taken off the second line as a temporary measure just to try and get something going? And what's with our current issue with shooting on the power play? Uh, Stephen and Commander Kern, thanks for your questions. Combined questions, I kind of combined the question here for the podcast outline. But uh, well, given Malkin's performance in the uh, in the game against the in the February 11th game against the Islanders, uh, having that one timer goal to tie the game at uh, tie the game at three. Uh, hopefully, like I said early on, hopefully this is the this is the thing to finally get Malkin going goal scoring wise. I think that's like I said earlier, four straight games now where Malkin has registered a point. While I don't think a line demotion at this point is probably the best course of action to go with Malkin, uh, hopefully you know hopefully Malkin uh, start starts to show some visible uh, confidence and chemistry out there with his line mates. And uh, in regards to the question regarding the current issue with shooting on the power play. Uh, I don't know if I can give you an answer to that question. I think I myself have been searching for an answer to that question since the beginning of the season, often wondering uh, why 
so many times. You look at the power play construction and all of the big names on that power play and all they do is pass, 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 and they don't get all of these shots on net. And I was reading an article from Josh Yoey in The Athletic and he surmised that uh, the reason why all they do is pass is because, in, in a way, the Penguin Stars, they play a little bit of uh, Harlem Globetrotter hockey, trying to pass and pass and pass, trying to find the most beautiful, the most perfect goal to score on the power play. You know, they want to play with all this finesse with the man advantage instead of just shooting and shooting and shooting. You know, Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. If I was running that power play, that would be the message. I send to my players shoot 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 no shot is a bad shot instead of trying to create these fancy you know highlight real passes and passing to one another back and forth instead of trying to actually score the goal I'm not there with the players and Mike Sullivan when they go for practice but I what I can tell you is that they spent a lot of the time between games uh, over the last week or week and a half on their special teams and their power play. So I can tell you that it has been something that they have been working on. So hopefully over the next couple of games, you start to see the Penguins with a bit of a shoot more mentality instead of looking for the perfect pass and the perfect setup to score with the man advantage. All right, and our last question of the day also comes from Commander Kern. He wants to know, with Burke and Hextall in, I think Sullivan only has around 10 more games to prove he can make this team win or he's out. What are your thoughts? Well, Commander, uh, I see what you're trying to get at with the, with your question, but I'll take the opposite route, and I, I think Mike Sullivan's job is safe for the time being. I mean, if things go disastrously wrong within the next 10 to 20 games and they're still the Penguins are still slogging around, you know, not really showing any form of consistency, then I think it, it, it might be time to make a change with this new regime. But uh, I think for the time being, I think Mike Sullivan's job is safe. I don't think I see any signs of uh, Sullivan being on the hot seat. I also don't know if, if really, if the new regime, you know, wants to make a, a coaching change of that magnitude in the middle of the season. Uh, obviously, we've seen it happen before with Sullivan himself and uh, Dan Bilesma, but uh, I, I, I'm in, I might be in the minority in saying that Sullivan's job is, is rather safe, at least in my opinion. But Commander, your question is not without merit. The Penguins are never afraid to shake things up when they feel it, it it's necessary to do so. So, you know, 10, 15, 20 games from now, we'll see what the Penguins look like. And who knows, maybe Mike Sullivan is out of a job and it's time to go completely fresh and see if they can capture lightning in a bottle once again as they look to capture another Stanley Cup. But that will do it for our mailbag. And uh, before I wrap up this episode of the podcast, uh, I just wanted to say thank you if you're, you're still listening if you've been listening to me for the last half hour uh, just some numbskull on the internet giving his opinions on the Pittsburgh Penguins basically just talking into a microphone in a room by himself uh, if you've been listening throughout this entire episode of the podcast I just want to say thank you obviously these are different circumstances than what I'm sure you're used to and what I'm used to in recording with another person but uh, if you've stuck it out with me to the end of the podcast again uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone who has listened to this episode episode of the podcast and uh, for uh, Frank Miola who will likely be back next week uh, I have been Garrett Bahanna thank you once again for listening to another edition of the Pennsburg podcast and we will see you next week